Good morning, everybody. It is good to have you here. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on the team, and uh, welcome to everybody who is online as well. Great to have our family extended this way, and it is good to be here. How many of you are enjoying the great weather that we have been waiting for? Jesus is alive. (laughs) and uh, he's listening to our prayers. This is so good. Hey, we used to play this game growing up, and it's not a game that I'm necessarily endorsing today, but it is a game that I have played, and I have a funny suspicion that some of you here in the room today, you've played this game before. And and how it would go, I'd get a posse of my friends, and we'd kind of go out kind of more towards dusk, later part of the night, and we go out into our neighborhood, and then we would take one of the people in the group, and it would be their task to play the game first. So we would send them up to this door in someone's neighborhood. They would go up to the door, and they would quickly knock as fast as they could on the door, and then they would run that their life depended on it. And they would take off, and it was this game called Nicky Nicky. Nine doors. How many of you have played this before? Go ahead, admit it. All right, church is a great place to admit our sin. And uh, so this game, Nikki, Nikki, Nine Doors, you'd run up, you'd knock on the doors fast, and then you'd take off. You'd jump, you'd dive into the bush, you'd hide behind trees, cars. Then the person would come and they'd open the door and they'd stand around thinking, I thought I heard something, I guess not. Close the door, walk away. Person two, it's your turn. They would walk up to the same door and they would walk up and they'd and they'd knock on the door, and you run like your life depended on it again. And all of a sudden, the person opens the door, and you could now start to sense that there's a little bit of frustration on their faces and in their lives. And so they can't see anybody and murmur, and then all of a sudden, close the door. Third person, you're up. Bang, open the door, and all of a sudden, you'd hear obscenities that you thought you'd never hear as a kid. They're getting completely ticked off with what is going on. Nikki, Nikki, Nine Doors, this is a fantastic game. You should go play it today somewhere and uh, see what happens. All right, like, no, I'm not endorsing that. Uh, You don't want to do it. But we were in... In Saskatoon, it, 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 we, we actually just happened to have this game kind of circulating in, in our church as well, and it happened to come to our, our, our door. And it wasn't Nikki Nikki Nine Doors, it was Nikki Nikki Nine Doorbells at three and four o'clock in the morning in our lives. So it was kind of getting frustrating. And I'm like, I really enjoy my sleep. I need a lot of beauty sleep. Somebody say amen. All right. Like don't, no one said amen. I am so proud of you for not doing that. Okay. So, and, and, so they're ringing the door and then they take off and I knew and we, I wanted to catch. So finally I threw on my shoes and that next person, boom, the doorbell rang. I burst out of another door in my house and I sprinted and I went and God said, now this is important because also in our house that day, I had a really prego wife and uh, she was not too impressed. Uh, I'm sad to say that those teenagers no longer are with us because she dealt with them and uh, I'm just kidding. She didn't kill anybody. Uh, she wanted to, but we took after it. But this, this game, Nikki Nikki Nine Doors, I mean, it's just something that... Uh, uh, and I'm going to segue this, this crazy game with this, this thought that we're about to take a look at here in, in the Bible. But this is probably, as we are in our uh, Not As It Seems series, and Jesus is speaking to seven churches. The one that we're about to do right now is probably one of the most popular and familiar of the whole entire letters that have been given to the church because of this picture that you'll see on the screen. This picture is a pretty important one. And it's something that probably many of us have seen in some sort of iteration or not. But I want us to just see this picture, but I want us to see this. Keep in mind 
that Jesus is not speaking to people who do not know him. He is not speaking to the world. Jesus is speaking to people who say that they're Christians. This is what this letter is all about. He is talking to those of us who have a faith in Christ. Can it relate to somebody who is an unbeliever and doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? Absolutely, and we're going to explore that. But Jesus is speaking to the church, not necessarily anything else. The text that we're reading comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The words will be on the screen. But this is the letter to the church of Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will... That's what it says. I will spit you out of my mouth. It's pretty direct, don't you think? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now you say that I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And don't, and don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich and also buy white garments from me. So you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Somebody say indifference. Look, I stand at the door. and What is he doing? I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. See, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Now anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I want us to see today that in this text, Jesus is not playing Nicky Nicky nine doors with you and me. He is knocking at the door, and there is a choice to be made. Will you keep the door closed, or will you allow the door to be open? But Jesus today is waiting, and who is he waiting for? You. And so let's pray as we've read the word of the Lord together. Father, thank you for this time that we have together to look at your word. And Jesus, I pray that you will challenge us again today. Speak to us. Because this beautiful image is for every single one of us listening. Whether we have faith in Christ or we don't have faith in Christ, you are standing at a door today and you are knocking. And the question will become, will you open the door? Will you allow him in to the totality of your heart? So today, Jesus, I pray that you will help us to grow, to learn, to see what you're trying to say to us. Thank you for this time today, and we dedicate these moments to you. Use them, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, the, the subject title I'd like to speak to us uh, about today comes from uh, G. Campbell Morgan. I just loved it, but this subject is the church with Christ on the outside. 
which is not a good title to have. And what I'm proposing is, is Christ on the outside of your life? Or is he on the inside where he wants to be? Harry Meyer says this about the Laodicean church. He said, privileged Christians in the West need to read Revelation as a Laodicean. So because we're in the West, this makes a lot of sense for us today that we should pay attention to these words that Jesus is saying. As we've learned about Laodicea, we've seen these things. And these could be the different titles, actually, for this message today. It could be the indifferent church. It could be the self-sufficient church. It could be the lukewarm church. And I was trying to find some uh, uh, words for relating it to, to, to modern day language. And this is what I came up with. This is the church of meh. <laughs> you know, like there's just that indifference. And it's like, uh, I could take it or leave it when it comes to, to Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, we learned that Jesus had a position around his churches. Do you remember where Jesus was? He was in the middle, in the center. But for some reason in the church of Laodicea, Jesus does not have his dominance in the middle anymore because guess who's there? You and me. How do I know this? Because we learned from Jesus that you are neither hot nor cold, which means you are now lukewarm and you are in the middle. So for some reason in the West, especially, we've taken the seat of the middle and Jesus wants to call that out in us today. He wants to have an observation about it and so much so that he said he wants to spit you out of his mouth. How many of you think spitting is disgusting? Yes? How many of you have a gag reflex when somebody spits? Yet Jesus wants to spit us lukewarm people out of his mouth. And it's like, Jesus, will you just settle down a little bit? That's pretty strong, don't you think? And yet Jesus says, okay, hold on. Just take a, de take a deep breath here. I'm going to explain some things to you. So as been part of Jesus' methodology in Revelation to the churches, he explains a little bit about who he is first. So the very first thing that Jesus says to us today is that he is the amen. Somebody say amen. He says that he is the amen. When we say the word amen and we see the word amen, it acknowledges that something is valid and binding. It is utterly trustworthy. It is a foundation to build on. In fact, that's why in church circles and scenes, Oftentimes, when somebody is saying something, the people will say, amen. Why do we say that? Well, that's the reason for it, because what we are acknowledging is that something is valid and binding and true. And so in churches, we do this. Let's practice. Jesus is Lord. Amen. That was okay. Do you really believe that? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And the devil is a liar. Amen. But when we say amen... It means that we are acknowledging and are in agreement with the statement, which is why it is important for you in church to say amen out loud when you agree with something because it becomes valid and binding to the moment. Jesus is saying that he is the amen, capital A. Like he is saying, I am it. What Jesus is communicating to the Laodicean church and Colwood church today is that he is a trustworthy foundation. 
His word is valid and it is binding. And guess what? Jesus will always have the final word in your life. That's a great time to say amen. He continues. He's like, I'm faithful and I'm true. And we understand faithful. Jesus said, I'm a faithful, but then there's the word true. And there are two words in the Greek that talk about this idea of truth. The first word means about true and false, right? But the second word that you see today is alethinos, which means genuine as opposed to counterfeit. I think we know counterfeit in this culture, do we not? We've seen things all around us. And what Jesus is saying is that many of you who have bought into the counterfeit, many of you who have bought into the falsehood of so many other things around you, whether it be the gods you serve, the idols you bow down to, he is saying today that I am the genuine one and I am no counterfeit to your life. You could bank on me for you in your life. I love this about Jesus and how he begins to share these moments. And then he says, I'm the beginning and what he is saying here in the Greek is this word arche, which means beginning, and then there is the telos, which is the end. Jesus is communicating to the Laodiceans again, like I'm the beginning of it all, and I am the end of it all. He is the end because he is the beginning. Now, this is interesting today, too, because it, it, what the arche is trying to encourage us in is that Jesus is saying, like, listen, I, I'm not just, you know, first in the, in, in the sense of a sequence. He is saying that he is the source of the sequence. He is the originator. He is the archetype. He is the prototype of everything that would be good, that could be found in him. He is the beginning, and he has always been, and he will always be, and he will always be there for you when you need him. That's who Jesus is trying to communicate himself to be again. He says that he's the beginning of this thing called a new creation. What's the new creation? What Jesus is doing with John, as he's painting a picture for John for future, he takes the picture with John and he looks backwards. In the beginning of new creation, Jesus is just reminding his people, remember that I died on a cross for you. Is this not the whole purpose of why we, we have faith? Is because Jesus went to die on a cross for our sins. Our brokenness, our shame, all of the garbage and the mud that we walk through, Jesus went and he died on a cross. But guess what? Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He got out of the tomb and he is alive today. And so Jesus just reminded, I'm the beginning of this new creation. This is where it all comes down to. I am the originator. I am the OG. I am the one that if you put your trust into, if you see me as the, as the amen, you can build your life on a very worthy foundation and you will not stumble and fall because you have built yourself on the rock of Christ. We can go home right now with that, but we're not. Jesus is reminding them because they're lukewarm. Christians, passionless, lost their zeal. Let me remind you who I am. May that spark a fire in your bones again. So let's talk about Laodicea. Why is he talking about Laodicea? The name Laodicea literally means rule of the people. They were an important wealthy city in fact, they had a center for worship for their healing god, Aslepios. In fact, attached to their temple was this medical school. 
And this medical school in Laodicea was very famous for this salve that you would place on your eyes. And so not only were they serving and worshiping a false god, they actually thought that their medicine was attached to the god, but they were very well-known. People flooded their city in order to take care of their eyes. That was a big deal for them. Pastor Josh spoke to us last week about the Church of Philadelphia, and we learned that there was a pretty significant earthquake that happened there. And so Rome came in to save the day to which the Church of Philadelphia said yes. But in 60 AD in Laodicea, there was a monumental earthquake that devastated their entire city, and Rome kind of showed up to the door to say, let us help you. And guess what Laodicea did? And what did they say? They were like, no, thank you. We got this. We're okay. The Laodiceans were so self-sufficient. They felt that they could do it all. They had it all, that they didn't need anybody's help. And so Jesus wants to talk a little bit about that. But in more about their city is that they had so many banks around them. They were a solvent crew. I mean, there are so many pieces. They were some of the best dressed people in the entire of Asia. Think about this for a second. Like you, you look at fashion today and what it looks like. These guys were the top of the line. They were so famous for their clothing. I mean, they looked good and they walked well that way. And then as we have learned, they were a medical facility for a lot of people, especially when it came to their eyes. These people had it all together. Another key facet about um, Laodicea that we have to be mindful of is that they had no natural water source that flooded into their city at all. And so what they did in, a, in, a engine, in, in, in an engineering feat was that they built this unbelievable aqueduct of, of stone pipes that would bring water into their city so that they had a source. This was important for them. In fact, Hierapolis was about six miles away from where Laodicea was. And in Heropolis, they were known for their natural hot springs. And so they were very well known for these waters that would bring, refret or that would bring healing to their bones. This last week, I had the opportunity with our pastors to get away and we had the opportunity to sit in a hot tub. Anybody love hot tubs? I love hot tubs. Relaxing. I mean, they just feel good for the body. I felt Jesus tell me that I need to get a hot tub, Lisa. Uh, you know, all of these things. Uh, it, but it was fantastic to do that. I heard an amen there too, I think. So that's valid and binding. Uh, okay. So, but you do these, you sit in these tubs, and it, and it, was, it was great, but it was in, in Hierapolis that they had to bring this water over to Laodicea. Now, 10 miles the other way was this other city called Colossae, and you may know Colossae because it's one of the books in the New Testament called Colossians, and Paul wrote a letter to the city of Colossians, and even in that book, you see the unique relationship between Colossae and Laodicea, like they were brothers and sisters, really cool, but this is what Colossae was known for. They were known for their cold waters. And so what was happening is that if you needed hot, you'd go over to Hierapolis. If you needed cold, you'd go to Colossae. Now, back to the hot tub story for a second. It also, with this hot tub that we had this week, I had a lake close by. And so one day I walked down to the lake because I was going to go for a swim in the lake. I stuck my feet in the water and I immediately got right back out because it was freezing cold. And I prefer my hot tub versus the cold. But this is what had to happen. They had to bring this water in from both sides. So they 
in the natural hot springs would take them through the aqueduct of pipe. Through the cold springs, they get them here. But see this. Where the water started did not finish the same. Follow me. The hot water turned into lukewarm water. The cold water turned into lukewarm water. Jesus creatively uses their own water systems to speak a spiritual tale to the church of all time. He says that you are neither hot nor cold, but I do not want this lukewarm stuff. And Laodicea knew it well because they had to bring their water in that way. What Jesus is doing is he is addressing their spiritual state of being. You're lukewarm. You lost what Hierapolis was in its refreshing, healing waters. You've lost what Colossae was giving to you in this water. And it's interesting, don't you think, that Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. You either love me or you just don't. But what he says he really hates was this thing called lukewarm. Because it's here at lukewarm where Jesus is addressing, you've lost your passion. You've lost your zeal. You've lost your drive for who I am. Do you remember, church, that we've got the greatest story ever told? I died on a cross. I rose back up for somebody's sin. And I have this incredible grace. Have you forgot what that is about? Have you told that to somebody else? Or are you just living in meh as your attitude? Don't you think Jesus is quite fascinating by using something so literal to the people there to draw out the spiritual conclusion? See, lukewarm is the natural consequence of compromise and indifference. And we have been talking about this through these churches. But if there are things where you have compromised this relationship with Jesus, if there are ways that you are becoming indifferent to your relationship with Jesus, I'm here to tell you today that you are on the journey to lukewarm if you're not already there. And Jesus doesn't want you to be there. And he's not going to scold you in it, but he is going to call it out within you as well. I love what David Guzik says in that Satan will have us any way he can get us, but he prizes a lukewarm religionist far above a cold-hearted sinner. <whistles> Interesting. We ask the question today, why is Jesus talking this way? Like, why is he coming at Laodicea like this? And that's an important question that we have to consider today. And we see in the text that he answers them, and he says this, because you have need of nothing. You think you're all good. You've put your trust in your money, your clothing, your medicine. You've put it above who he is. And what he says to them is that you're self-sufficient. Isn't that interesting in the West that we feel that way a lot of times? Why do I need God? I kind of run to God when, I, when something's wrong and something's bad instead of when it's just eh or when it's even good. But it's like we only will turn to because we've become so self-sufficient in the things that, that we have around us. Jesus looked at Laodicea and he said, oh, you got all the money in the world. I mean, you have banks on every street corner here. But what did Jesus say to them? But you are, you're poor. Well, Jesus, I mean, have you been to the bank? You're poor. 
because he's seeing beyond it. He looks at us and he says, man, you're some, of the, you're some of the best dressed people. You got all the toys, the bells and whistles. I mean, you seem to have a lot of the things together, but then he looks at them and he says, but you're, you're naked. Well, we've got our, you got your medicine in your medical school. We're not saying anything bad against medicine, okay? That's not what he is doing here. But they had put all of their trust and their hope into that. And he looks at them and he says, listen, you're nothing but blind. In fact, he goes on, you're wretched, you're miserable because you're so lukewarm today. You've missed the sufficiency of being spent in your time with him. Self-sufficient is the cry to Laodicea. Daryl Johnson says the city where they claim to treat physical myopia was blind to its spiritual blindness. They had this down, but they were blind and Jesus wanted to address it. Jesus is saying these things to them and to us today. Quit striving to do it yourself, people. Quit trying to think that more hours in the job is going to be what pays the rent. Puts food on the table, clothes on your back. Jesus is saying, quit striving to manipulate this thing under your own power and your own strength. And he says to the Laodiceans and to us, your works are not enough. And then he challenges them. He says, why don't you come by from me? Which is a little bit of a redundant question because you can't buy anything from Jesus. It physically cannot happen. Why is he saying that then? Because in verse 19, he looks at them and he says, you're just so indifferent. Do you even need me anymore? Did you sign on the dotted line, Jesus, come into my heart, and did you walk away? My life, my, my passions and my pursuits, all very good things, but have they taken the priority and the seat over the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And they became indifferent to what was happening. Another commentator, Havner, says the cause of Christ has been hurt more by Sunday morning bench warmers who pretend to love Christ who call, who call him Lord, but do not his commands, than by all the publicans and the sinners. You know, I have had in my life moments where I'm guilty of this quote, unfortunately, where that lukewarmness has crept itself in to me and where I'd rather not listen to God's stuff because I'm really doing well over here and my successes and my stuff. And God is like, no, 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 Sean, I need you to come back to me because you've allowed those waters to cool down and to become that lukewarm in your spiritual walk and in your journey. You know, a lot of people would think that, well, with Jesus' harsh words of him spitting us out of his mouth, man, he must be pretty ticked off and mad at me, especially with some of the roads that we're walking today. You know, the bottom line is today you could be sitting in this space and you're just hurt. Something has happened in life and it's like, Jesus, I just don't know about you and what I want to do with you right now. That's okay. Because I think a lot of people look at this like Jesus coming and he's scolding. I actually see it quite differently. Remember, we're in this series called Not As It Seems, which is beautiful. Because I think what Jesus is doing to the Laodiceans, he's like, you're lukewarm. But then he reminds them of who he is. He reminds them of this thing called grace. That no matter your feelings, 
no matter your hurt, no matter your pain, no matter the lukewarmness that has seeped into your life, he stands there today and he says, but I'm welcoming you back to me and my grace is going to be sufficient for you. That indifference that has crept into the spiritual lives of many of us today. Jesus looks at that and he says, but listen, in verse 19, I'm going to discipline the ones that I love. Who likes discipline? Not a lot of us, but the reality is he's going to discipline. He's going to chisel away some things of our indifference, of our lukewarmness, but it's going to mean that you're going to have to lay some things down. You're going to have to say goodbye to certain things to allow him to have his moment in your life because this discipline is a correction that is done in love, but it is done in the abundance of grace and grace being the person of Jesus Christ. So the reality as to why Jesus looks at Laodicea is they got lukewarm. So I'm asking you, today because I actually think that this is a picture of us. Have you become indifferent in your relationship with Jesus? Have you become self-sufficient? I got it, Jesus. You're okay. I'll get to you later. Have you become self-sufficient? Are you self-dependent? Have you lost your passion for Jesus Christ because those are the indicators of the lukewarm and that could be you so here's the best news that you could ever get today and it comes through a picture given to us by William Hunt called the light of the world it is a famous picture with many iterations that maybe you have seen but take a look at the picture because it's Jesus and what does it say that Jesus is doing? He's standing at the door and he is I don't want to open it, Jesus! I'm too hurt! Where are you? And Jesus keeps knocking at the door. The interesting part about this door is that there's no handle on it. And that was intentional by William Hunt. Because the only way that door could be open is how? From the other side. You. So Jesus is at this door in our indifference, in our lukewarmness. And he's not looking at you thinking, you're such a schmuck. He is there knocking. And what is he saying? This is all he's saying to you today. I'm right here. I'm everything that you need. The things that have brought lack in your life. I am the all-sufficient one. And I could stay with you and hold you and I will see you through. But you have to open the door. Because Jesus is not going to push it down. I believe my Jesus is a gentleman. And all he is doing is he's knocking. Remember today that Jesus is speaking to Christians. Christians, have you shut the door to the Savior of the world? Unfortunately, I have at times. But Jesus' invitation today is open the door. 
let me in. Because when you do, I'm going to do a couple things with you. I'm going to have a supper with you. You can go have KFC or whatever you want. I don't care. I don't know why I said KFC, but I did. He says, I want to come in and have fellowship with you. He says that he wants to place some white clothes on your body, which again in Revelation we're learning white is the, is the color of purity. It's the code for purity. He wants to do that. And he also says that he wants to sit you on his throne with his father. How many of you think that would be cool? Sitting on the throne room of God with Jesus. And he's going to invite us into that. We're going to talk more about that throne in two weeks. He's knocking. Here's the deal. All you have to do is open the door. But how many of you know today that the foyer is not sufficient enough of your home? How many of you know that there are other rooms in your home, whether it be a washroom, a den, two to ten bedrooms, kitchen, garage? See, Jesus just doesn't want you to open the door. He wants you to give him access to every single room in the heart of your life. He wants access to your family. He wants access to your sexuality. He wants access to your money. He wants access to your relationships, to your education. He wants access to it all. But he is standing there today knocking. Will you open the door? That's the question. Because you're the only one that could take that handle and say, come on in. So may I encourage you today to throw aside your indifference, your lukewarm, your self-sufficiency. Quit trying to do it by yourself. Let him in. Because it is there with eyes of grace and love and mercy that he will see you through and he will bring victory into your life. That is the promise of the amen. That is the promise of the faithful and true. That is the promise of the arche and the telos, the beginning and the end. His name is Jesus, and he wants to come have a supper with you. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Will you close your eyes and let me pray with you today? Whether you are online or in this room, perhaps you have never said yes to the amen. Maybe you have never allowed Jesus the access to the door of your heart. And today is that moment for you. And you would say, Sean, I want to submit my life to the amen, to Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy. I want to surrender who I am to the abundance of what he has for me. If that's you in this room today, I'm just going to encourage you right now. Just raise your, you can raise your hand and you can catch my eye. If that's you, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, into your life. This is your moment today. If you are online, all you need to do today is text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And a pastor will be there to take you on that journey as well. And the rest of us in this room today with eyes closed, I'm going to ask some questions here. And if you find identification with it, I'm asking you to raise your hand. And we're going to pray for us today. But you would say, Sean, as you're speaking today, I'm the indifferent one. 
when it comes to Jesus right now. And I've got indifference happening inside of me. I just don't know what to do. If that is you, will you raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you today. All right? The second question I have is there are some of us in this room and you are so self-sufficient. You've been doing it all on your own and you think that you're it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Let me in. Take that self-sufficiency and to surrender it to him. If today your story is, I'm just self-sufficient. I've been doing it on my own, but I need to give that to him today. Will you raise your hand if that's you in this place today? And then the third question. You're neither hot, you're not even cold. You're lukewarm. And your passion has faded. Your zeal and your love for God, it is there, but man, it's waned. Jesus says, I don't want your lukewarm. I want your hot. And if you are lukewarm today, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me today? Keep those hands raised now with all three questions. Let's pray. Father, you see the hands today. I knew that we would have identification with Laodicea. But you stand at the door and you knock today and that's all you're doing. And you are asking your sons and your daughters to open the door. And so you see our admissions in this room today. You know where we're struggling, whether it would be indifferent, self-sufficiency, lukewarm. And it is your, it is your goal I, today to say, I love you. I love you for you. And I pray that you will set us on new train tracks today to follow the things that you're asking of and from us. May we be a people that have surrendered ourselves and we live in passion. God, I pray for this church that you will make us a people who are very hot so that we will share the greatest story ever told. This morning, please forgive us for these moments where we've allowed that passion to fade. Breathe your breath again. Breathe your fire into our lives so that we will become the light of the world that you have asked us to be with you. Jesus, I thank you for these moments. I thank you that you've not gone anywhere, but you stand at the door and you keep knocking. May we open it consistently, faithfully, and allow you in to have your way with us. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. Help us this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. If you are brand new with us today, welcome to Colwood Church. Please make sure you take some time to see Pastor Tyson in the Welcome Center. If you are new to faith, make sure you text that, that, that word life to this number on the screen. It will be the best decision you've ever made. Next week, we are at the beach. Come on, somebody. Make some noise for the beach. Come on. Most importantly, we're going to baptize a lot of people next Sunday, and that's why we're doing this. So you're going to get our 9 o'clock family and our 11 o'clock family. We're going to watch people give their lives to Jesus in the waters of baptism. So make sure that you are there. Look for our big blue tent, and you will know where to go. But church, have a fantastic week. We love you, and we will see you next week on the beach.